All right, good morning, everyone. It's great to see you today here at Hope and Anchor Church. Man, we've had a good weekend. Uh, I was just calling Sal out, but um, Sal and Steve yesterday came to help with Love Thy Neighbor, which is our monthly mobile food pantry uh, in partnership with Victory Mission. And do you remember how many families we had? Yeah, 37 families came through. We almost ran out of food for the very first time. It was, it was great to see that many cars. I think they had like eight bags left for Victory Mission. Yeah. Yeah. The most we've ever seen come through. So it's, it's just a good, good feeling to be able to show the love of Jesus in practical ways like that. And knowing that most of those people were uh, from our neighborhood. And uh, you know, I want our church more and more to be associated with the love of Jesus. That we want to be a church of the neighborhood, not just in it. We want to actually be here. And uh, the growing perception to be that this neighborhood, the West Side neighborhood, is better off because the people of God are here and, and paying attention. So, uh, good things like that. There's a lot of good opportunities coming up uh, throughout the Christmas season, but also heading into next year, we're really going to sharpen our focus. We're going to say no to some things so that we can say a better yes to other things that make a difference. So, uh, it's going to be an exciting time and an adventure, and I'm glad that you get to be a part of that. So. Anyway, again, uh, welcome. It's good to see you today. Uh, we are continuing in our Law and Prophets series. This is week number seven, I believe. And uh, yeah, it is. And uh, today is called Integrity. Uh, when you commit to teaching through something like the Sermon on the Mount, you come to certain parts that are easy to teach on, and then there's some parts that are like, oh, all right, well, we're working through it you know, in order. So this week we're taught, you know, it's the, the part that says, teaching about vows. And you know, that, that sounds like a real barn burner, right? It's like, oh, great, we're going to preach about, I'm going to talk about vows, you know, oath making, things like that. But as happens so many times, as I started really diving into this and unpacking it and kind of like seeing it with, um, with first century eyes and hearing it with first century ears, sitting with Jesus on the hillside, it really started to come alive. And as often happens, it started, to becoming, a, started becoming a little bit convicting. So something as mundane as a Jesus' teaching about vows can really end up kind of poking me in the chest like, oh, he's talking to you. He's talking to you. So I'm going to lay this out here today, trusting that the Holy Spirit might say something to you too. Because Jesus, over and over again in the Sermon on the Mount, is talking about the kind of people we are to become in Him. As we become more and more Christ-like, we grow in spiritual maturity, we are becoming a certain kind of person, a person more and more outfitted for life in the kingdom. So don't hear what I talk about today as behavior management or uh, legalism. We can fall into that trap thinking it's a checklist that we must work down and just be fastidious in, in completing. Hear Jesus' heart in saying these things. He wants us to become a new kind of person. And that's far more, far more fulfilling and far more um, an endeavor that I want to commit my life to. I want to become the kind of person that Jesus said He wants me to become. And I pray that for you too. So, dun-dun-dun, uh, breaking news. I've been working on this intro. Dun-dun-dun, <laughs> breaking news. This just in. There's a new cutting-edge science research uh, that, uh, regarding human behavior. Scientists have discovered... That people are weird. <laughs> yeah, people are weird. Anyone else come across that in your own independent research? Yeah, people are weird for a lot of different reasons, but here's one thing I've noticed. Human beings have a strange penchant for both lying and oath-making. We both lie 
and we also make oaths. We, we swear to things. We, we're given to deceiving others, yet we want very badly to be believed. Do you see this dichotomy? We, we're, we're, we're pretty good at like waffling and trying to work around uh, accountability or responsibility, but at the same time we want to be seen as upright, upstanding, and truth-telling. We're equally skilled in misdirection and half-truths, while at the same time we are quick to call upon the gods to bear witness to our deep, enduring truthfulness. Right? Do you find this in you? This, this propensity, it has a very long history with us and our kind. Okay, it didn't start with you. You can go back to ancient sources. You can go all the way through the Bible and find that human beings struggle with this, with both lying and desiring to be seen as telling the truth. Pretty early in the Bible, we find our forebears lying. We find our ancestors obfuscating, trying to wiggle out from under blame, uh, deflecting facts, and obscuring the truth. This is just in us. I mean, go back to think about Adam and Eve, right? They ate an apple. God comes to them, and immediately they're pointing at each other. It's like, it was her. The woman you gave me made me eat it. You know, I mean, we started like, whoa, 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 deflect, deflect. We also find our biblical ancestors appealing to outside sources, outside authorities, to verify and validate their claims. What were some of the things they would call upon to help you believe that they're telling the truth? Well, uh, by God, may God strike me and even kill me if, if I don't do what I say. They called upon their dads, their fathers. They called upon Moses. They called upon others. They would swear by so-and-so, by Methuselah, that I'm telling the truth. And everyone around's like, well, he swore by Methuselah. I mean, who wouldn't believe that guy? He just, I mean, Methuselah. Why is this? Why do we do this? I think it's because the people in the Bible we read about, and us ourselves and the people we're surrounded by, we have this deep sense that they're fundamentally untrustworthy. Okay? Even the big league characters in the Bible sometimes were perceived as being fundamentally untrustworthy. Uh, and as humans, uh, the people around them, they know this. They know this. This is this like baseline default is that I can't trust, I can't uh, believe everything I'm told because people are fundamentally untrustworthy. So we go about swearing to God. We go about swearing by heaven. We swear on our grandmother's grave. We, sw we swear by Zeus's beard. We cross our heart. We hope to die. Stick a needle in our eye. Why do we do this? I believe it's because we're seeking to add gravity to our claims and by swearing a vow or making an oath, add a second witness to what we're saying. Because if someone else can validate or verify or hold us to what we're saying, it's got to be real. It's got to be right. It's got to be true. Why is it so hard for others to just take us at our words? Well, far too often we've proven them wrong. We've not followed through. We've not lived up to what we committed to in our words and actions. Why are, why are we so skeptical of others and even of ourselves when it comes to making promises and giving answers? I think it's because almost all of us would say, you know what, it's because I've been around the block a few times. I've been let down. I've been lied to. We've lived long enough to know that people are generally self-seeking. 
Left to their own devices, they're going to seek their self-interest. They're going to look out only for themselves, uh, and they are at some level, some more than others, but everybody at some level is deceptive. The technical term here is full of malarkey. <laughs> you ever had someone in your life who's like, man, I like that person, but you can't believe what they tell you. They're just like full of malarkey. <laughs> you know, don't, don't get too close. Don't put too much weight on what they say because... Sometimes I wonder if they even know they're not telling the truth, right? We're hesitant to take someone at their word. We're hesitant to take someone's testimony at face value because we've been naive before, and as a result, we've been burned. We've been burned far too many times by someone telling you something, but then doing something different. <coughs> Selling you something as a full truth when it's really just a half truth. So, why do people lie? Why do people lie? Why do people uh, lie? Why do we lie? And why do we then also swear oaths? <coughs> I think it stems from our, deeps, uh, our, our deep sense of self-preservation and our survival instincts. We just, at the end of the day, want to get by and we don't want to get caught. <coughs> we like to stay out of trouble and we like to be believed. Okay, I think these two issues are, are at play in this dynamic that Jesus is pointing out to us today. We like to stay out of trouble, and we like to be believed. Okay, you see this showing up in your life, too. On one hand, we don't like to get caught and get in trouble, but at the same time, we just want people to believe what we say. And we will do just about anything to not get found out. We'll do just about anything to prove, quote-unquote, our integrity. So, we live with a level of duplicity. We live with a level of duplicity that Jesus finds problematic. Why would Jesus bring this up in this, his sermon? Why would he bring it up in his Sermon on the Mount if it wasn't true about us and also problematic? Okay, we have to listen closely when Jesus brings something up, even if it's not something that's front and center all the time for us. This is an issue that he finds problematic, this duplicity that we've grown comfortable with uh, in our lives. In this, as with so many other things in the with God life, the way of Jesus runs head-on into the ways of the world. This is just one more way that Jesus is calling us to live differently in the world. He's making an issue about this. Do not make vows. Do not swear by these things. Just tell the truth. In Jesus, we are called to live in such a way that a simple yes or no will be believable. Our life of integrity should actually make oaths unnecessary. Maybe you've got someone in your life that you know that they're pretty rock solid. If they tell you they're going to do something, they follow through. You don't have to follow up. You just know that it's going to get done. Man, praise the Lord for those kind of people. Well, that's the kind of person that Jesus is encouraging us, motivating us, calling us to actually be as well. This is just one more way in which following Jesus makes us peculiar in the world. Being a Christ follower sets us up in this, as in so many other ways, to be odd people. We shun oaths and we just tell the truth. We just tell the truth. Let's look at Matthew chapter 5. The passage I'm talking about is Matthew chapter 5 verses 33 through 37. You have also heard that our ancestors were told, you must not break your vows. You must carry out the vows you make to the Lord. But I say, do not make any vows, 
Do not say, by heaven, because heaven is God's throne. And do not say, by the earth, because the earth is his footstool. And do not say, by Jerusalem, for Jerusalem is the city of the great king. Do not even say, by my head, for you can't turn one hair white or black. Just say a simple, yes, I will, or no, I won't. Anything beyond this is from the evil one. Now, there's something to be said. It'd be awesome if people did actually say, by my head, or by Jerusalem. This might be a little dated as far as an example goes, but we know we can get to what Jesus is actually talking about. We don't talk in this way, but we do the same thing, right? So he's saying, don't do any of that. Any vows, they're wrong. Anything beyond a, a simple yes or no comes from the evil one. So imagine yourself on that hillside in Matthew gathered around Jesus. Jesus was speaking to a people that were steeped in Torah, the law of Moses. Okay, the first five books of the Old Testament. They knew it inside and out. But they were also marinating in various local cultural influences. Now, most of the people listening to Jesus that day, they had a fundamental understanding of both vows and of God's name that had been baked into them since they were very young, recited. I mean, they knew the Old Testament. So they weren't unfamiliar with the teaching about vows. You notice Jesus doesn't have to unpack it. He just says, hey, you've heard it said. You know these things, right? Um, look at this. Uh, they had an understanding about vows and about the sacredness of God's name and the prohibition of misusing it or swearing by it. Look first at Deuteronomy chapter 23, verses 21 through 23. Verses 20, 23, Deuteronomy 23, verses 21 through 23. When you make a vow to the Lord your God, be prompt in fulfilling whatever you promised Him. For the Lord your God demands that you promptly fulfill all your vows, or you will be guilty of sin. However, it is not a sin to refrain from making a vow. But once you have voluntarily made a vow, be careful to fulfill your promise to the Lord your God. Okay, so this, is, this would have been heavy rotation. They would have heard this, like, hey, don't make vows. Don't make vows. Don't make vows. And it's not, it, to make a vow and not fulfill it is a sin. However, it's not a sin to refrain from making a vow. And so this kind of echoes what Jesus says, like, hey, don't make vows. Don't even do it. Don't do it at all. Just be a person of your word. Do what, you're gonna, do what you say you'll do, and that's, that should be enough. Look at uh, Exodus 20, verse 7. Probably a familiar passage, but this is the third commandment. The third of the Ten Commandments, when Jesus says, or uh, God tells Moses, You must not misuse the name of the Lord your God. The Lord will not let you go unpunished if you misuse the name. Now, in my upbringing, what, what did it mean to, in your upbringing perhaps too, what did it mean to misuse the name of God? It was pretty much only about what? Don't cuss, right? You don't cuss, you know, so you come up with Christian alternatives, you know. Gosh darn it, you know, or whatever. We say words that are like Christianese or Christian alternative uh, exclamations or uh, 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 cuss words. Well, and that's what we heard it to mean. But I think it means more than that. Calling on God wrongly to validate your claims. Putting God in your service to, to talk about or to, to convince others that you're a man of your word or a woman of your word. That's misusing his name as well. So, so people knew about what the Bible said, the Torah said about both vows and about the sacredness of God's name. 
But at the same time, they were very human. They lived in an actual world with people all around them interacting, making promises and breaking promises. So they felt an inclination to shore up their oaths. They felt this inclination to shore up their oaths and their promises by reaching out beyond themselves, by invoking the heavens and enlisting God to endorse their testimony. You see what's happening here? It's like, well, as God is my witness. It's like, well, God isn't supposed to be your witness here. You're supposed to be a witness to God in the truthfulness of what you're saying. So we enlist God to endorse our testimony. If someone was so bold, here was the thinking. If someone was so bold as to swear by the heavens or to swear by their God, well, they must be telling the truth, right? What would happen if someone swore by their God and then they didn't do what they said? Well, they'd be punished. They would be uh, stricken down. If they are lying and they don't follow through, they will be cursed. They will be subject to divine wrath, right? So the, 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 the effect of this then, by someone being so bold as to swear by the heavens or by their God, was that like, well, clearly I'm telling the truth because no fool would risk being stricken down or cursed with divine wrath, right? The InterVarsity New Testament commentary ex uh, explains it this way. Breaking an oath was dangerous, for in all societies, oaths contained curses that deities would avenge if the person who swore by them broke the oath. This was just a culturally accepted truth that if you swore by the gods and then broke your promise or didn't fulfill it, you were subject to wrath and punishment. So the problem here with making oaths and with invoking the gods is that it creates a false claim, a false claim validity. It, it, it creates a false claim validity and it distracts us from what's really most important. Remember, God's not looking at your behavior so much as He's looking at your heart. Jesus is talking about the kind of person you are actually becoming. The point isn't about who or what we swear by or ultimately even about whether or not we do what we said. But hear me, underneath and above it all, it's really about the kind of person we are and we are becoming in Christ, the cultivation of true Christian character that matters. Because it's possible to fail, to not follow through, feel conviction, and that be an avenue of growth in you. That you learn from your mistakes. You learn from the disappointment you caused in others, allowing God to craft that into growth, into something you learn from. So God is at work creating in you a heart of Christian maturity. The InterVarsity Press New Testament commentary continues, The Bible's point in prohibiting false oaths, however, was that one should just tell the truth and keep, keep one's promises. Jesus' point is not so much that oaths are evil as that the motivation for engaging them is evil. One should simply tell the truth. Jesus intended the same as Pythagoras in saying, Let your word carry such conviction that you need not call deities to witness them. So, I know we've said a lot here, but what is Jesus driving at? Ultimately, what is Jesus driving at here? Well, I believe he is telling us that we are to live a truthful kind of life. We are to live a trustworthy kind of life. The kind of life we live with and before others should leave no question in their mind as to whether or not you're telling them the truth. In all of our interactions, we should be faithful we should have a reputation of reliability, truthfulness, and integrity. Integrity. What does integrity mean? 
Does anyone have a working definition of integrity? Well, that's fine because I've got one written right here and I can just read it to you. But it says, it is the quality, integrity is the quality of being honest. It is the quality of having strong moral principles or moral uprightness. And I like this. It is the state of being whole or undivided. Basically, integrity is being unified in character and intent. That we're not divided. We're not this dichotomy. We're, we're no longer saying two things, doing two things. Uh, we are unified in our character and our intent. We are whole and undivided as our state of being. Our normal setting is integrity. Taken further, the commentary goes on to say, the point of this passage is integrity. Jesus observes that since God witnesses every word we say anyway, we should be able to tell the truth without having to call God to witness by a formal oath. That's kind of refreshing. Kind of uh, <laughs> makes you nervous too. I mean, it's not like, uh, you know, by God I tell you. And he's like, wait, what? You know, someone, someone saying something? No, he knows. He knows everything. The Bible says he knows the words that before they even come out of our mouth. So God is bearing witness to everything you say, every commitment you make, every vow you make or break. He knows. You don't have to invoke Him as a witness for Him to pay attention. So, was I right in telling you this is a strange passage? How does this apply to us? Well, I don't know, but somehow it's oddly convicting. This passage is actually pretty oddly convicting to me. Here, instead of holding up a spiritual ethic to which Christians should aspire, uh, just in their best and most righteous moments, Jesus is bringing it down to ground level. He's commanding us to act, to speak, and to live with transparency and integrity at all times. At all times. If you're awake, you're acting with integrity and transparency, day in and day out. So, this is where Jesus' teaching becomes both practical and problematic. It becomes hard. It becomes harder because it's so practical. Most of us, most of us, if we committed to it, we could curtail our inclination to make oaths. Okay? Uh, you, if put to it, could give up swearing by heaven or by Zeus's beard. Okay? You could just, all right, I'll do it. I'll, 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 I'll tough it out. I will no longer swear by Zeus's beard. Got it. Okay, and we think we checked off the box, like, all right, I didn't swear by Zeus's beard today. I'm in, right? We could uh, curtail our inclination to make oaths, but it's harder to just be a person of our word when no one's watching to follow through on our commitments we've made. Many of us have not been too terribly truthful in our daily dealings. Maybe there's a time you think about where you just really let someone down because you were lazy or you just didn't think it was worth it or maybe you forgot or whatever, but we feel like, ah, I've not been super, uh, I haven't had a lot of integrity in my daily dealings. I've not been too terribly truthful. We've not always acted with integrity. We've, not, we've often allowed half-truths to persist. And what's been the result of that? What's been the result of half-truths? What's been the result of uh, failures to act in integrity? Well, you've seen that trust has been eroded and that promises have gone unfulfilled. Maybe there's someone in your life that you just pray you don't run into because it's going to come up or it's going to be super awkward because you told them you'd do something, you never did it, and now it's like weird. That relationship's kind of off because it's like they're going to want to talk about that thing I told them I'd do and I didn't do or that lie that I told. 
What's more, Jesus' teaching, it works its way down below our mouths, okay? Jesus' teaching, it works its way down into every part of our lives. Addressing both our words and our actions, Jesus' teachings, they come to bear on all of our commitments and all of our obligations at home, at work, and at play. I've often regarded Jesus' guidance here, uh, here as only applying to my language and to my verbal intentions. And one could be forgiven for thinking that. It's like, oh, he's just like, don't say things. Don't say this stuff. Don't make these overtures verbally. I've often taken it just to apply to my language and my verbal interactions but the, uh, about the things I say with my mouth. But what if he means more? What if he actually means more? What if it involves all the areas of my life, including my mouth, but also my body? What if my yes is to be yes in both my actions and behaviors as well? How do we do that? Well, when I honor my commitment to be on time when meeting a friend, if I tell you, hey, I'll meet you at noon at the coffee shop, and I'm late just because I'm not being organized, I'm not being committed to honoring you in that time, you know, is that a yes being yes and a no being no? No, that's a yes being maybe or a soon at some point, you know, let your yes be at some point. No, that's not what Jesus said. If we make a commitment to honor somebody by showing up on time, do we do that? What if my no is a no when I refrain from speaking gossip when I could? When I honor someone's confidence and I choose not to betray their trust, is that my, my no being a no? I will not do this thing. What if I'm acting with integrity and my yes is, become, is a yes when I don't cut corners, when I pay what I owe, and when I get my work done well and on time? Have you guys made this connection before? That Jesus' teaching here is more than just about our words. It's about how we live our lives and how we follow through on the commitments we make. That our yes is a yes when we show up, when we say we'd show up. Our no is a no when we refrain from doing that which we could so easily do, but we said we would not. What if I am violating Jesus' teaching when I am not diligent in keeping my commitments, when I don't prioritize what I've promised to others? I've never really, I guess, seen this as a spiritual situation. There's spiritual importance to us being people of our word, both in word and deed. See, it, it's easy to write this stuff off as being nitpicky and legalistic, but it's not. It's not. Jesus' teachings and the way of Christ, it works its way down into every level of our being. Remember, Jesus wouldn't be leading us back into slavery. Okay? He's not leading us into a hard, rigid, restrictive way of living. He's actually leading us toward freedom. Remember what the Apostle Paul said? It is for what? It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. So don't be led back into any kind of slavery. Well, this could become a type of mental or physical slavery that we let ourselves like, oh, I can't do that, I can't do that, I've been told not to do that. No, we should desire the freedom that comes from living according to Jesus' teachings. Jesus is leading us into freedom. He is leading us into a, to a, an abundant kind of living. But do you believe that? Do you believe that? Do you, is that belief evident more and more in your words and your deeds? Can you believe that by disciplining yourself in the area of oath-making and of promise-keeping, you can grow in Christ-likeness and spiritual maturity? 
I mean, how does that make you feel that Jesus is speaking to very practical areas of our life? That we can sing as loud as we want and worship, we can go to church all the time, we can even read our Bible every day. But if that shaping influence, that formation of character is not showing up in our interactions day to day, something's gone wrong. And Jesus points this out. He's like, hey, there should be a real transformation of your daily interactions because if you're really listening to my teachings, it should be working itself into every aspect of your life. I tell you what. You want homework? <laughs> Here's a, let's do an experiment, okay? Why don't we, you, us, why don't we commit for the next month to strictly being a person of our word? Okay, make that commitment now and then do this. Let's agree to focus our intentions on greater integrity. Be sensitive to what it means in your day-to-day -day interactions for your yes to simply be yes and your no to simply be no. Uh, let's do that for one month and see what happens. In our words and in our deeds, in all of our interactions with our spouse, with our kids, with our friends, our family, our coworkers, let's commit to following through and acting with integrity. If we believe what Jesus said and we trust that he meant what he said, let's try it. Why not? Can we trust Jesus? Can we take him at his word? Why would Jesus call us to something that's not for our good and for our flourishing, but also why would he call us to something impossible? Let's commit us, ourselves to this. Let's, let's apply ourselves to this. And here's what I'd like you to do. First, don't let your skepticism creep into your willingness to obey Jesus, like, oh, I tried it before, you know, or I'm already good, whatever. No, let's start paying attention here. Keep tabs on yourself. Keep what I call an integrity journal. Okay, no one has to see this, but a journal, maybe a page in your journal or a section in your journal that you're just keeping an integrity journal. Note when you find yourself starting to be shifty. Note when you start, you find yourself starting to sound like a politician. You start to do, be verbally acrobatic. You know, like, well, let me answer your question with a question. You know, I mean, it's like we don't want to be caught. We don't want to be seen. We don't want to commit, right? When are you being shifty and when are you being acrobatic verbally? Take note of that. Write down when you catch yourself telling someone only what they want to hear. That's a tough one. You maybe come away from a conversation like, oh man, if I had to give myself a grade, I don't know. I'm not sure how truthful I was being in that. I was just really telling them what they wanted to hear. I was spinning some half-truths. I was, uh, notice when you feel that impulse to lie or to cut corners. You see how this might be beneficial? You're starting to look at it, observe it directly. It's like, oh, I did that today. I did that today. In that interaction, there was no reason why, but I just, I didn't tell the full truth. Why did I not do that? Okay, so we write it down. Be diligent in capturing your commitments in writing. Okay, that means if you promise to be somewhere or you make a commitment to someone, write it down so you can be reminded of it. Then at the end of the day, do a proofreading exercise. Asking the Holy Spirit to come and, and do some proofreading in your life, okay? Uh, lay it before the Lord and pray. Invite the Holy Spirit to come and bring conviction, to hold you accountable, and ultimately to grow you in godliness. I know some of us have our quiet hours in the morning. We listen to the Word. We spend time in prayer and things like that. But this is something that I think might be better to do before you go to sleep. Do your integrity journal. Lay it before the Lord and say, God, today was pretty uneventful. 
great, you know, continue this work you've done in me. But then there's days you're going to be like, wow, I was a uh, kind of a wreck today. I was afraid, and I said things I didn't mean. Uh, I didn't tell the truth, and here's why. Here's what I think is going on. God, baptize this, <laughs> change this, forgive this. Um, now, it may also lead, though, to, in addition to the Holy Spirit bringing conviction, uh, it may compel you to go and apologize, to make amends. Okay, and this is where the rubber meets the road sometimes, where you have to circle back with someone and say, hey, I told you I'd do something and I didn't do it. Or I told you I'd do something and I don't really think I can do it. Or I just told you what you wanted to hear because I was nervous and I wanted you to think highly of me. I mean, you maybe had to have these conversations. But uh, understand that when necessary and when possible, we are to go and make amends and to confess when we've been shifty, when we've not been operating in integrity, when we've been making oaths but not following through. Okay, you see where this might be a helpful thing? Just for a month, let's try that. Each day, just write down like, yeah, I did, I did okay. Maybe give you a, a score. I don't know, whatever you want to do. But each night, do that proofreading exercise with God. Mark Twain famously said, if you tell the truth, you don't have to remember anything. And I love that. It's like, man, if you're always telling the truth, you can be as forgetful as, as you want. You don't have to remember the lies you told. You don't have to keep notes of all the ways that you've uh, uh, spun one yarn and have to make it line up with something else you told someone else. Just tell the truth, and you don't have to remember anything. Sometimes because of fear, because of uh, feelings of inadequacy, family of origin issues, many of us can't remember a time when we were not telling lies. Many of us have been raised in a world where you had to lie to survive. And that gets pretty deep-seated, it becomes pretty deeply seated in us. And if you had to say, hey, when was a time you weren't telling lies or you weren't uh, spinning half-truths in order to not get in trouble, when would that be? And you say, I don't remember that at all. I don't remember. My family uh, was all about just lying. We didn't know how to tell the truth. The idea of simply telling the truth and honoring our commitments, it can feel like a steep hill to climb because a lot of ingrained habits need to be broken and replaced. This is the work of the Holy Spirit in us, right? To come and, and pull up some rocks, remove some weeds and some briars that have grown in our lives. It can be kind of painful. It can be difficult. But this is what Jesus is calling us to do, and He wouldn't call us to it if He wasn't willing to help us. But here's the promise. Great freedom awaits as our yes becomes yes and our no becomes no. The way of Jesus is simple. It's simple, but the problem with things being simple is it doesn't mean they're easy all the time, right? Simple and easy are not synonyms, right? The way of Jesus is simple, but simplicity doesn't always equal easy. It will require effort. It will require retraining. And it begins first with surrender. Surrender to the work of Jesus in your life, the work of the Holy Spirit of God in your life. And I trust you, based on Jesus' promise, it will be worth it. It'll be worth it. Let's pray together. Father, thanks for your word and uh, just the, the way that Jesus knows us so well. And he cares enough that he would speak into these inner reaches of our, of our hearts and our spirit, of our personality. And he would bring correction. He would point out things that are a problem for us sometimes. God, that Jesus would want us to grow in Christ-likeness, that we, He would desire us to become more like Him, that we would be people of our Word, that He would care enough about 
um, the theology of truth-telling. That we bear witness well to, to the goodness of God when our yes is yes and our no is no. We don't overcommit. We don't undercommit. We just show up. We do what we say we were going to do. So God, I pray that you'd work that life-giving, freedom-giving conviction into our hearts. Out of a desire for freedom and a, and a desire to become more like Jesus, I pray that you would uh, work this into our hearts. God, if we commit today to for a month even, just keeping track at the end of the day how truthful we were. Was our yes a yes and our no a no? Did we honor Christ in our commitments? Knowing that God's watching, that I don't have to call His attention to my oaths. <laughs> that my yes was, was trustworthy, that my no was trustworthy, that I was operating in integrity out of love for you and out of love for this other person. That I was fulfilling the great commandments in my yes being yes and my no being no. Lord, work this truth into our hearts. Be with us in our day-to-day -day following after you, our, our, our long obedience in the same direction. We're following Jesus, and we want to grow. So reveal places in us that are still kind of rough around the edges that need to be worked out. Form us in the likeness of Christ. Let us hear clearly his teachings in the word, and may we apply that into our words, our deeds, into our relationships, and all of our interactions, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, I don't know if this was a convicting sermon for you too, but it, it, it does. I think it, it does reach into a place inside of many of us. And this is a chance for you as we worship a little bit more to sit with the Lord and offer this to Him and say, hey, refine this in me. If there's someone I need to go and apologize to or make amends, I need to do that. Find the courage to do that. If you'd like to pray with somebody, you're sitting around some people that you could pray with, or I'll stand at the back and I'll pray with you there. The thing is, is uh, God doesn't bring stuff to our attention for no purpose. The Holy Spirit's at work in this very room, and this is an area that a lot of us need to grow. That our yes will be a yes and our no will be a no, and we'll honor God in that. May we all become more and more uh, people of integrity uh, this week. You have redeemed.